Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. The greatest delight in my life is being a dad. I love being a dad. I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be a dad when I grew up. Uh, I practiced on Cabbage Patch Kids. Do you remember Cabbage Patch Kids? Uh, I was a kid in the 80s, and in the 80s, Cabbage Patch Kids were all the rage. You just had to have one. They were expensive. Um, A friend of mine, her mom didn't want to buy her one, so she made her a homemade version. (laughs) And you know how that goes, right? When you're the parent, you're like, oh, you're going to love it. It's perfect. And when you're the kid, you're like, ah, it just kind of looks funny. You know, it didn't, didn't look like the real thing. Um, so I wanted a Cabbage Patch Kid, and I didn't tell my friends because, you know, boys aren't supposed to play with dolls, or so we were told. Uh, but I, I had this instinct in me to be a nurturer and a caretaker, and I finally got the Cabbage Patch Kid. But it turns out raising real, actual human babies is, like, way more complicated <laughs> than raising dolls. Uh, but I love it. I love it so much. It's, it's the best. It's the best thing. And I'll never forget the days uh, on which my two children were born, it was an incredible experience of God's holiness and grace and power. And I remember the, you know, the tears running down my face and having a sense that I stood at the threshold of heaven in that moment. That this, is, this is a liminal space. And, and the distinction, the difference between God and humans was, was so minimal at that moment. It was like the Spirit of God was in that room and I was participating with God in bringing life into the world. It was holy. It was humbling. It was incredible. And from that day, I was very active in my children's lives as they were growing and, and young. I would feed them, and I would rock them, and I would hold them when they cried, and I would change their diapers. And from time to time, I would take the kids when they were young so that my wife could go and do what she needed to do, whether it was work or take a nap or whatever. And I remember going out in public with my kids at the park or the grocery or whatever, and very well-meaning people would come to me and say, oh, look, you're babysitting. And I was like, actually, no, I'm, these are my kids. Um, and I'm, I'm fathering them, right? This is, what, this is what fathers do. They take care of their kids. And uh, a few of you have pointed out to me that there's been something of a generational shift, right? Because our dads and our grandfathers didn't necessarily change diapers. Um, but dads these days, they do. And, and I think most of us agree that's a good thing, right? We want dads to be hands-on in the lives of their children. And uh, as my kids have grown um, into adolescence, I have um, had to learn to accept that they do not respond to my affection in the same way that uh, they always did when they were younger, right? I mean, I've never been a dad of teenagers before now, so what do I know? You know, I'm just making it up as I go along, and I've, I've had a talk with them, and I said, look, you know, uh, you're a teenager now, which means your dad is not very smart. And if you would just please be patient with me, okay, because as you got into adolescence, something happened and my brain fell out and your mom's brain fell out. But if you would just be patient, because like in six years from now or, or eight years from now, we'll get smart again, right? And we'll, we'll get it together. But if you would please just be patient with us. In the meantime, we are doing the best that we can. 
And uh, my kids are growing up, and they're getting busy with dance and lacrosse and AP classes and friend time. And what I've realized I want most now from them is just to be with them. I want their attention. I want their company. I love being with them. I love spending time with them. And right now, it's great because at the end of the day, they come back to my house, right? That's where their bed is. That's where they keep their stuff. Is that my house? And um, that's good because that's, that's where they live. But I'm very aware that in a few short years, um, it will not be their house. They will have their own house, and they will not have to come to my house, right? They will choose it or not choose it. And so I'll tell you, friends, right now, my greatest desire for my kids as they grow into young adulthood, number one, is that they would be disciples of Jesus. But number two, close second, is that they would want to come home. I want to parent them in such a way that they want to come home, even when they don't have to come home, even when it's not their house anymore, that they would want to be with their mom and their dad. And here's what I want you to know today. That's how your Heavenly Father feels about you. Your Heavenly Father is madly in love with you, and He wants you to know that you are always welcome to come home. You're always welcome to come to the throne of grace. And he has made a way for you to do that, to come in to the presence of your heavenly Father who loves you desperately. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 is all about, friends. And we're going to unpack it and read it together. But as we do this, I just want you to keep this in mind. There is a heavenly Father, and he loves you so much. He loves you so much. And so that is what this Bible passage is ultimately about. All right, let's get into it. Uh, we are in the book of Hebrews. We're reading through the book of Hebrews during Lent. You're invited to read with us our daily readings, which you can find on the Church Center app or on the website. We'll email them to you each Monday as well. We're, today we're in chapter 4, starting with verse 12. It says this, Indeed, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So this passage begins with some teaching about the Word of God that we call the Bible. Hebrews says the Word of God is living and active. We sometimes call it the living Word. And what I want you to know about the Bible, it's unlike any other book that has ever existed because this book is alive unlike any other book. And what we mean by that is it is inspired, it is inspirited, the Holy Spirit is in the words, in the writing of the words, in the passing of these words down from one generation to the next, in the reading of these words, in the interpreting and the proclamation of these words, this word is alive. It is living and it's active. That's how you can explain how you can read something in the Bible and then read the same thing a day later or a year later and see something totally new, it's because it's alive. This is how you can explain how a word written thousands of years ago in a language different than your own can seem to you so fresh and so relevant because it is inspired. It is full of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is living and it is active. So many times you've said to me, wow, pastor, the sermon today was just exactly what I needed to hear. How did you know, right? You were in my living room taking notes or something, right? And the answer is, of course, I didn't know. I don't know all the details about all your lives, but the Lord knows. 
And the Lord moves in the preaching and in the hearing so that the Word of God can be to you exactly what you need for the Word for today. And I hope that when you leave worship, you don't ask yourself, well, did I enjoy it today? I hope you ask yourself what Pastor Matt used to say, how did I sit under the Word today? How did I sit under the Word today? Did I submit myself to the authority of God's Word? And what is the Lord saying to me today? Now notice, this is, uh, this is encouragement, right? This is encouragement. But in this verse, there's also judgment. And we don't like to talk about it, but it's real, so let's talk about it. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Friends, God, His Word has a way of getting right to the heart of the matter. The Scriptures have a way of exposing our sin, our our brokenness, and and the flaws and foolishness of our life. Have you ever read the Bible, and and, and you're dealing with some sin or something in your life, and it's, it's like a gut punch, and you're like, oh, got me. Got me right here, right? Because that's, that's the power of, of the Scripture. And when you measure your life against it, you see that you know, our life doesn't measure up, right? We, we're full of sin. The Bible calls for holiness, and yet we are sinful. And so we feel cut to the heart, and it, it judges us, and it opens us up. And this is exactly what the author of Hebrews is talking about. It. Uh, when you read the Bible with your life in mind, it becomes clear who you really are. Look at the next verse. Before him no creature is hidden. That is before the Father. Before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Okay, so notice in Israelite worship, when the Israelites brought the animal, the lamb or the doves, for their offering, the, the priest would help them open up that animal with a very sharp knife or a sharp sword, and so that the insides of that animal would be as visible to everyone as were the outside of that animal. And what I want you to understand is that is how the Father sees you. The Father sees everything on the inside of you just as easily as the Father sees everything on the outside of you. Now, we try to hide it, don't we? We try to cover up our sin and our shortcoming like putting on a big heavy coat and saying, well, maybe if I put in enough padding in here, you know, people won't notice. And you can hide your sin from other people, and to some extent you can even hide it from yourself, right? But you cannot hide it from your Father. Before Him, no creature is hidden. Your Father sees everything, and He knows everything. He knows everything about you. Naked we came into the world, and naked we will go out of it. You know this, right, friends? That there is a judgment day coming, and on that judgment day we will stand naked before the judge. And how does that feel to imagine yourself in that position? That's, that's a compromising position, as we say, right? It's very vulnerable to stand naked. I mean, it's pretty vulnerable just to stand naked by yourself in front of the mirror, isn't it? But to stand naked before Almighty God, and we realize now we we have something of a problem because we have covered up our sin like putting on a coat or clothes to to disguise ourselves, but on this day there's, there's no covering up. We are exposed. And not only that, we are exposed 
in our sin before a God who has no sin. And there is this sharp, uh, incontrovertible distinction between who God is and who we are because God is holy and we are sinful and God is almighty and eternal and we are finite. God is spirit and we are dust. And so what are we to do, friends, as we stand on the judgment day before a holy God? Well, the next verse gives us a clue, okay? Here's the good news. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Okay, this is the good news, friends. Your heavenly Father already knows all about your sin, right? This is not a surprise to him. It's not like you stand there on judgment and say, ta-da, and he's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Right? He knows. Your father knows all about you, and the good news is he loves you anyway. Your father loves you anyway, and because he loves you anyway, he sent his own son to be your priest. The great high priest is what Hebrews calls Jesus. And what does it mean that Jesus is our priest? It means through Jesus we have direct access to the Father. We have direct access to heaven. So just as the priests of Israel passed through the veil, passed through the curtain, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle where it was believed that God existed, where God resided in that place and took with him the blood of animals as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. In a similar way, Hebrews says Jesus passed through, not through the veil, but through heaven, and taking with him not the blood of animals, but his own blood. And he, in that way, goes before the Father, and he makes a way, he makes a path for you to go before the Father. Because Jesus has gone first. He has blazed a trail, he's made a way, he's overcome the gap caused by your sin, which has separated you from the Father. Jesus has overcome it as your great high priest. Think about the role of the priest. The role of the priest is to connect people to God. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at the first verse of the next chapter for a moment. Just kind of skip ahead. Chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf, that is, Israel's behalf, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin, right? So the job of the priest is to offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people, say, Lord, please forgive them, please forgive me, right? And here, and order the life of the church, order the worship life of Israel. But what kind of priest is that? Well, chosen from among mortals. What's that mean? Human, right? Like a regular dude, right? That's what they're saying in Hebrews. This is just a regular person, a human being. Okay, so let's contrast the human priest with Jesus, who is not chosen from among mortals, but comes from heaven. Okay, back to verse 14 again. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven. He's not from earth. He has come from heaven, passed through heaven to the throne room of God. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Understand, friends, Jesus is the one who connects you to the Father. He represents you to God. On Judgment Day, those who are in Christ, the good news for you is, as you stand naked before the Father who's there to judge you on Judgment Day, if you die in Christ, even as you live in Christ, you on that day will be covered with the blood of Christ. So that no longer are you naked, but you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And when the Father looks at you, instead of seeing your sin, 
He will see the righteousness of his own son, and he will declare you righteous and say to you, come in to your father's house. Do you understand this theologically, how this works? So the priest not only connects you and reconnects you to God the Father, but he also announces the forgiveness of your sin. That's the job of the priest, isn't it? To offer the forgiveness of your sin. Jesus is your great high priest. If he's going to forgive your sin, you are invited then to confess your sin. Right? So look at the last part of the verse. Hold fast to your confession. What are we confessing? Two things. One, we're confessing faith. Sometimes we say profess. Right? You're confessing faith. Two, you're confessing your sin. I wonder, you don't have to raise your hand, but when's the last time you confessed your sin? Recently, I hope. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, I've noticed Protestants, we like to criticize Catholics when it comes to confession, right? Uh, anybody grew up Catholic, maybe you did this, you, uh, there's a little booth, right? And you go in the booth and there's a little curtain, you know, and you're supposed to pretend like, I don't know the other person over there, even though it's, hey, it's Father Joe, you know, we, we hang out and have coffee. But, but you go in and you tell your sin and the priest listens to your sin and the priest says, all right, you know, go away and pray these prayers and, and then you are forgiven. And Protestants criticize that. We say, well, it's too, it's too formulaic, you know, you're supposed to be about the heart. And we criticize that saying, you don't really need a human priest, you just need Jesus. And those are fair criticisms. But here's what Catholics get exactly right. Confession is important. It's so important. And taking a casual attitude about confession because you have Jesus is the exact wrong interpretation of the priesthood of Jesus. Because the more you believe in the priesthood of Jesus, the more you will confess your sin. Because you will realize, one, I have sin, I'm full of it, and two, Jesus is the one who can forgive me. Hold fast to your confession, brothers and sisters. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. Do it every day. Do it multiple times a day. Every time you become aware of your brokenness and your frailty and your disobedience, you should say, Father, I'm sorry. Please forgive me in the name of Jesus Christ. Hold fast to your confession. Verse 15. Let's keep going. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Okay, so the author of Hebrews does here what your English teacher taught you not to do. Did you catch it? The double negative, right? The double negative. Your teacher said, don't do that, right? But it's a matter of emphasis, right? So this is a rhetorical device. We do not have a high priest who is unable. In other words, what? We do have a high priest who is able. Very good. It's an emphasis that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Well, how is that? Well, Jesus is human, isn't he? Jesus is God in the flesh. He's, he's God come down to earth to be like us. And Jesus is like us in every way, except one. <laughs> except one really important difference, and that is what? He was without sin. Right? So Jesus was tempted in every way that you have been tempted, and yet he responded to that temptation not by giving in, but with faith in the Father and with obedience to the Father and with uh, love and grace and mercy. 
And so, friends, give thanks that we have a high priest who is familiar with our life and yet still loves us and reconciles us to the Father. Uh, The good news of the incarnation is that Jesus is uniquely qualified to forgive you because he is at the same time God and human. And only God can forgive, but only humans need forgiveness. Jesus is uniquely qualified to forgive you because he is at the same time God and human. He is our great high priest. All right, and then comes the action step right here at the end, verse uh, 16. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you think about, okay, I hear the message and I go out into the world, what am I supposed to do with this information, pastor? This is what you're supposed to do, okay? This is the response. This is the action step. Approach the throne of grace with boldness. And I want you to get your head around how countercultural that idea is that you could approach the throne with boldness. Think about this with me. Generally speaking, who is it that sits on a throne? The king. Very good. And what happens, generally speaking, to a person who bursts into the throne room and comes boldly to the throne and says exactly what they want? Drawn and quartered. Thank you, Brother Kevin. That's right. Uh, Off with their head, right? Off with their head. Like You don't barge into the throne room. Right? If anything, you come like very humbly in supplication and put your head down and, oh, please, wise king. But this king is different, you see? Because this king is your father. And your father loves you. And he has made a way. And he says, come with boldness because I'm ready to receive you and I love you and I want you to come. So think about it like this. Uh, when a child comes to her parents, particularly, particularly a child who's well-loved and cared for and secure in her status as a child. How does that child come to the parent when that child needs something? With confidence, right? My parents have never let me down, not once. Every time I've asked for food, they've fed me. Every time I've asked for something to drink, they've given me something to drink. Every time I'm sad, they hold me and comfort me. And so that child knows She can have confidence because of the love of her parents. How much more, then, does your heavenly Father love you than even any earthly father loves his children? And so you can come, friends, with boldness, with confidence. Come to the throne of grace. Come to receive mercy and grace and help in time of need. And I don't know about you, but I've got seasons in my life that are times of need. And I need to go before the Lord, and you're invited to come before the Lord. Trust in his love for you this day, every day. Let God's people say amen.